What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Neil Haley Show's Caregiver Dave Celebrity Segment. I'm excited to welcome program. Caregiver Dave and Sandy. Dave, how are you? What's up? Oh. Busy, busy, busy. What's up with you? Nothing much. I'm excited about our guest. We're excited that we have uh, a Icelandic, I mean, Icelandic, Icelandic model, actress and singer, songwriter, Sif. And she's a SAG actor as well. Sif, thanks for coming by. And uh, you're in L.A. right now, aren't you? Yeah, thank you for having me, Neil. Um, Absolutely. Oh, I'm in L.A. too. Where are you? I'm in Rolling Hills. Awesome. You're about 20 minutes from me. Oh, <laughs> that's very close. I'm north on Interstate 5. When If you need some gas, stop by. <laughs> <All right. laughs> so that's that's a tongue twister. Icelandic model. Why is that? It's kind of explain that Iceland thing, how adding that part is a tongue twister. Icelandic? Yeah. Icelandic model. A little bit. Maybe, I don't know, maybe the D's, like the Icelandic and the model. Yeah, that's it. So I always have to say when you make a thing, but so tell us specifically enough uh, where you grew up again and uh, also how you got involved in kind of everything you're doing. Yeah, okay. So um, I grew up in between Iceland and Boston, Massachusetts. So um, I have a bit of both, hence I don't really have an accent. And... um, I you mean you travel back and forth between Iceland and Boston mm-hmm. yes that's quite a travel it's quite a trip yeah, yeah. my uh, parents my dad was a foreign exchange student in Long Island uh-huh. uh, and he came here by himself when he was 12 from Iceland and then wow. he ended up going to college here and working here and then met my mom and started working up in both places and he went to Iceland and met her and then no. Yeah. yeah. And so I have, I have an employee who won a trip to Iceland a couple of years ago. And, you know, we only think that Iceland is like Antarctica, just full of ice. But she said it was the most enjoyable, amazing trip she's ever seen. So it's a beautiful country. Yeah. If you ever get the chance, you should go. Go in the summer. That's what I tell everyone. 23 hours. Yeah. Flight. And if you eat meat, have a hot dog. They have yeah. the hot dogs are made out of lamb. And they're so oh, really. Well, that's, that's, that makes it a little more healthy, right? Yeah. Just dogs, yeah. <laughs> does, does summer last more than a month there? I'm curious. <laughs> um, yeah, it's from like June and July are the main, I okay. would say, the main summer months there. And then August, it starts to cool down a little bit. And then by September, it's kind of more of a wintry feeling in there. Um, <laughs> but I know a lot of people want to see the Northern Lights there. Um, that's in the winter, though, so don't go in the summer if you want to see the Northern Lights. Um, so originally from Iceland, and then the modeling and everything, I got scouted. I went to boarding school in New Hampshire, uh, Brewster okay. Academy, and I got scouted by my best friend's older brother at prom. He's, uh, I think, about 20 years older than her. And he has a mother agency. And so I, I went to Florida to visit them, started doing all that and started traveling. I did not go to college. I was going to go. And then I deferred a year, decided to keep doing what I was doing and ended up in L.A. Um, there I lived in a household with a bunch of musicians. And I've been I loved music my entire life since I was since I can remember. And seeing them make music being involved working in a group setting it was so inspirational and I just felt my I really wanted to chime in even though I was you know just the roommate I should go to my room so from that feeling I just like why not give it a go so I started teaching myself how to produce 
and slowly and slowly writing more and more songs. And I met a producer last summer and we really kicked things off. And that's like my newest project um, in a sense of the creativity and the acting um, has also been that kind of just happened and came to me. So it's very serendipitous, I guess. So but how did modeling prepare you for all this? Starting with modeling, how'd that prepare you for acting and also for singing? Because there's always a preparation and learning a certain skill set that can relate to another skill set. Well, modeling, I think traveling, being on your own at such a young age. I was 17 when I was on my own. And being in front of the camera really helped me to find a different side of myself that I didn't know existed. So I used to be very shy and worried about what people thought about me, very timid. And it really opened up this entire side of myself that I never knew existed. I was one of those straight A students who was like, you know, I was going to go to business school. I was going to do this very by the book. And I just realized there was so much more to myself than I even realized. So I think modeling doing that allowed me to really open myself up and be more open to other opportunities and to try new things. The music um, is just, I think in terms of when you're meeting people and talking, like you know people better based off of modeling because you're meeting so many types, different types of people. So that's also very helpful. And I think in acting, it's very similar to modeling in the way that if you're taking your job seriously in modeling, you are really embodying, feeling what you're doing. You are working with a photographer. You're creating that chemistry. It's, it's a dance. And it's the same thing when you're acting. You're working with other people. You are bouncing off their energy. And you're creating a moment or many moments. And then it, the picture um, versus uh, a scene. So, yeah. Wow. You know, being a parent of three daughters, I'd love to hear that conversation you guys had when you said, mom, dad, I'm going to be traveling at 17 years old all by myself. Uh, how did that go down? And, and when when you answer that, then maybe you can let me know uh, who were some of the early influences uh, with you in, in the music, you know, the genre, the groups, uh, and maybe some actors. actors. Um, so my parents were not on board at first, reasonably so. Um, <laughs> and they set these markers okay if you do this and this um you'll get a chance so that year deferment was the chance of showing that i'm capable i'm responsible enough to do this i think part of it was growing up i was always like the responsible one you know the the one who did all her homework did all her chores listened um a like, good girl. like the goody two shoes type <laughs> so that was me as a kid and teenager i yeah rarely, hard for them to know. rarely ever fought with them i was very just in a sense of calm and there was no reason to fight but like I, that does just i think <sighs> that's what they said they felt comfortable because of you know the years of just how i've been um you paid your dues being a good girl and they should trust you. I mean, you're yeah. an adult now. But it can go, I, I, it can go either way that, you know, when yeah. you first start, there's a lot of people who are, you know, it's, that's not the, when you're first starting, girls are vulnerable at that age. Freedom, and yeah. it's, you know, you have to be aware of it as, as a young girl, you have to be aware that there's a lot of people looking at you and they know that you're vulnerable, you're scared, you're alone, you don't want to make the wrong decision, you want to get to, like, you have a certain goal in mind for where you yeah. want to be. Um, yeah. Why were you different? How did, how did you survive that time? Um, I had a lot of friends that were older than me. I think that was really helpful. Um, I go to therapy once a week, which I think is <laughs> really important. But uh it allows me to kind of not build things up and let them out in destructive ways 
Good for you. And I have a very close relationship with my mom. So I think she is also part of the reason why I'm, you know, awesome. Good in that way. So question about your modeling, what accomplishments did you, I guess your top accomplishments as a model in your career you've accomplished? I, so I think this was, I've done, so I work with Elle magazine a lot and wow. for me, I've built a relationship with them over the years. And that relationship is probably one of my top accomplishments because they keep hiring me and I've done a few covers with them. And Impressive. to have a cover on L, you've made it right in certain ways. In certain ways. Yeah. And I think, you know, to be fair, like last year was very difficult for everyone in our industry. Exactly. No one, no one wants to advertise anything. Um, and also, modeling is changing very rapidly as the rest of the world is because your Instagram has a lot to do with everything. So you have a mix of people who are models and then you have people who are on Instagram who are modeling, but they have not been in the industry in that sense. Thank you. They yes. kind of just hop on. So it's a very confusing, even for me as, as an, a model who's been established in the in industry for five years now it's kind of like you need to kind of weave through and clients you hear it all the time they have to weave through all these people now it's um but yeah that's probably my favorite and uh favorite client to have i think yeah i mean anytime you get a cover of magazine how did that feel getting the cover it's surreal i think as a little like for me, even today, every, it's just, you, you know, when you're working to get to a point and then you get there and then you're yes. like, oh, I got there, yes. but then very quickly you have to be like, okay, what's next? What's next? Exactly. Yes. Kind of, but to be honest, it's everything that like I've done, I, I'm doing, it's going to sound funny, but I'm proud I'm sure. I mean, yeah, I'm sure you, like you could PTR your photo, right? On Clubhouse of your old magazine. <laughs> they don't know who you are. <laughs> you say PTR. Yeah. You, do you go with your hair? No, I, so as a model, some people, when you, you know, you're, you're dressed up now, I mean, you know, look great, but you'll go walking out sometimes to, to people we've been like, how tall are you, by the way? You said you're a model. How tall are you? Five nine. How, how, how tall? Five nine. Five, nine. Okay. So what's the average model's height usually? It depends. For runway, they want to be around 5'11 to 6 feet. Okay. On um, and then for beauty, that doesn't matter what height you are. Um, I know a few girls that are like 5'8", five, 5'7", five, that are doing really well with beauty. Really? Yeah. Um, and then around like the more of the stuff that I do, I do a mix like beauty and editorial and stuff. So that's around... Anywhere between 5'8 to 5'10 is a good spot because then you fit into all the clothes and they're not too small. Okay. Not you want everything to look like. You want it to be real. You don't want to have to get annoyed. Awesome. Okay. So based on that, that experience, going into acting, that's got to be interesting because, you know, I don't know how many actors could say they were on the cover of Elle magazine. So you go in there and, you know, and then some models portray and become great actresses, right? And, or actors, but some others are just placed in one little spot. So what is your whole goal for acting? You're, you seem like you really are a goal-oriented person. I don't know how I discovered that, but I just, it hit me when I heard grades and then you talked about, and I said, and then I asked you, you're very humble, but we saw, okay, L. What do you want to accomplish in acting? Or what have you accomplished and where do you want to go in acting now? So, I mean, when I'm for acting, I, I really want to get a, 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 like a major feature film. I think that would be the goal, mm -hmm. the drama. 
um, mm -hmm. to work alongside actresses and actors that I've seen myself in theaters in, you know, I mean, my dream would be to work with Meryl Streep, but um, oh, wow. and, um, no, I, I, I have no plans of making myself small. So I, in a sense, in every way and everything that I'm doing, it's a lot, music, acting and modeling, but I, I understand that each needs its own attention. So right now I've spent COVID working on my music and now it's kind of game time and so in that sense i'm gonna i don't know i don't know i think it's yeah exactly it's an exciting time yeah because i mean i can see you have a look that could work really well in acting what's your biggest role you've had so far this is the project coming up that you're doing this is your biggest so tell us about that yeah um so i play so the film's called feral state and it uh came out today and I'm playing a character named Lexi and she is, so it's based off of this family in the deep South. So where the film is in central Florida and the script was written based off of the town that we're actually filming in and based off of the community and the people that live there. So like Lexi is, has no family in a sense she's kind of a, a misfit and the main character his name is Ronnie Jean Blevins he plays Mac Monroe um, Mac Monroe is an ex-marine and he deals with he wants to get rid of he doesn't like so there's a lot of drugs happening in the town and he's trying to yeah. kind of eliminate that but he does it in any way there's you know kind of this right and wrong way. So you, it's morally maybe not correct the way he's doing it. It's thievery, it's bribing, it's, um, you know, this is not the best guy in the world, but he, he has good intentions, if that makes sense. And so he takes all these kids and Lexi is one of them and has them work for him. They belong nowhere and so he makes them belong in a, in a way. So they all have a sense of purpose. Um, and Lexi is a very serious character and she has her moments of, uh, is, I don't wanna give up, give away too much. Oh, you don't need to. So where is that? So where can we see that now? Where is it's it, available uh... on Apple TV and Amazon Prime. So it's on Amazon Prime. Okay, that's awesome. But by the way, Dave, I didn't tell you, my TV show is now available on Amazon Prime as well. Just wanted to tell you that. So we're pretty excited. We got it approved, yeah. We were on Amazon Fire, and now my TV show is going to be available on Amazon Prime. So we'll have to put that on, but it's amazing. I definitely want to check it out. So the Primes always love Amazon Prime. So that's the movie I'm watching next. It's on my list. But I, I'm sure, I'm glad you're, you're kind of tiptoeing, not give away things. That's very, very good. And yeah, so singing. Give us an update and sing, and then Dave's going to ask his caregiver a question. Yeah. Okay. So... Singing, I just released a new song. I'm on, I'm everywhere where you can stream, but it's called French Fries. My music is very new age pop with R&B soul. Um, the influences are, I mean, Alicia Keys is my number one influence. My music isn't like hers, but as a writer, she's my number one influence. Uh, and it's got this cool, vibe to it nice I'm big on drums so that's where my main focus is when it comes to making the music um but french fries is about uh it came from looking at french fries and then thinking I want to write a song about french fries so it's kind of random and when I wrote the song it turned into this serendipitous like relationship song um I'm not in a relationship I have no idea where it came from, but uh, looking back, I realized it's something from my past relationship in a sense of the little things being overplayed, in a, if that makes sense. So you take 
something small and make it really big seem in your yes. in your it's the best thing in the world when in the end of the day that's not what's important and that's not what right kind of the relationship if that makes sense so the song is deeply connected to me and all of them always are i have seven songs out right now but most of the time when i write them i don't realize they are deeply connected to me i call it subconscious writing so yeah awesome all right dave ask that caregiver question please well sif um I used to just be a normal guy in the gas station business, a gasoline expert. And one day my wife had a stroke, uh, had a headache that turned into a stroke, lost her speech, became paralyzed. I've been a caregiver ever since, been about 25 years now. And now I help other caregivers to get through the caregiving experience because, you know, 30% of them actually died before their loved ones do. I wrote a book. Uh, it's my life too. I've got a website, caregiverdave.com. And my question to everyone is, you know, is there caregiving in your life? Uh, have you been a caregiver? Do you fear that one day you're going to have to become a caregiver to your parents, your grandparents, et cetera? Um, what's, what's going on in your life as far as caregiving? Uh, have you ever had the experience yet? Do you worry about it? Um, first of all, I want to, that's a really good question. I think that's, uh, I've never been asked that before. Um, <laughs> that's why you're on this show. <laughs> Um, and I, I'm not a caregiver right now, but, um, it's not necessarily a fear of mine. I like taking care of people. Um, I do live alone, but my friends, my family are all very important to me. And in the way that I care give is by making them feel heard and supported. And I think it's a really important part of it is just that someone feels seen. Yes. I think people overlook that a lot. You know, you're doing things for somebody, but every, every human being wants to be seen and heard. And if you don't see them, then how can you not take, like, it's hard to take care of someone that you can't really see. So that's what I try and do. And as if, I'm not afraid if I need to take care of somebody. I think that in that, in its own way, it's a gift that falls into your hands because it's, it's clearly, I, I, I'm kind of a everything happens for a reason type of person. So I would take it as a, you know, time to treasure with somebody that needs it and to have special moments that I wouldn't be having otherwise. That's how I would see it if that were to happen. Excellent. Great, great perspective. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Best place to connect. Again, the movie is available on Amazon Prime and Apple TV. And what's the movie again? Feral State. Okay. And your music's available? On Spotify, Apple, um, Apple TV, no, iTunes, and on Amazon, Google, wherever you get your um, streaming, your music. And Instagram's the best place to connect, right? Yes. It, my Instagram is at it's me sif. So it's I T S M E S I F. And on Clubhouse, you are at Sif Saga. All right. Awesome. Yeah, it's, uh, you have to come into the Holly Rooms. I, I'm in uh, where there's a lot of pitching movies and different things like that. And I want to connect you to somebody on that. And oh, so nice. we'll definitely have to connect on Clubhouse because there's yeah. connectivity. The, you never know who shows up uh, in these rooms at night on Hollywood type rooms. So, and I'm connecting some other people too out there. Uh, so I'd love to make those connections and we'll stay connected. So I appreciate it. So thank you so much. You're welcome. All right. Nice. So, all right, guys, carry over Dave, Dave, see you later. Sif guys yeah. have a nice long weekend and enjoy Bye. yourself in LA. And thanks again for stopping by. Bye. You too. All right, guys, that was the caregiver Dave celebrity segment. <laughs> Celebrity slots. Free spin. Free to play mobile social slot games in the likeness of your favorite celebrities. Making money. Spin to win celebrity experiences through sweepstakes. Free to download. Free to play. Yeah, baby. 
What are you waiting for? Win meet and greets, celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more. Download Celebrity Slots today. We're back to the Neil Haley's show here on the Author's Corner segment. And, you know, uh, I know she's excited about this book, especially the opportunity. She's a New York Times bestselling author. I'm excited to welcome the program, Mackenzie Lee, author of Gamora and Nebula. And this, the exciting thing is it's with Marvel Universe. How are you, Mackenzie? I'm so happy to be here talking to you. Absolutely. Let's kind of talk about, you know, how you became an author and congrats on that Forbes list. I mean, you're just rocking it. And then, and then I, I bring up the word clubhouse and you've never been where I bet you people are going to be <laughs> laughing. I had to bring it up because I bring up clubhouse on my radio show all the time because you really uh, have really uh, accomplished a ton. So tell us a little bit about your background, how you started in writing. Yeah. So I originally set out to be a historian. I've I've been a lover of history my whole life. I've generally been a lover of storytelling my whole life, but it took me a little longer to identify that that was the connective tissue of everything. Um, so I went to school to become a historian. I lived in the UK. I was studying the Wars of the Roses and wanted to write a thesis on that and be an academic. And then I had a professor very gently tell me that my papers read too much like novels. And I couldn't write dialogue for Richard III, and I couldn't write scenes about Henry IV moodily pacing his battlefield because we didn't know if that had happened or not and so she kind of said either you need to change your writing or maybe look at writing something else and so I, I got kind of steered into writing historical fiction from that um, and I went on to get a degree in a master's degree in writing for children and young adults specifically um, and then I have uh, several nonfiction and fiction books that have been published plus uh, two with Marvel and one more forthcoming including uh, Gamora and Nebula. Wow. Okay. So all this happened. <laughs> a lot Let's of see. See, you're, and I'm going to take you back. I know you're here to promote your book, but I'm always interested in the backstory. So was this like an overnight success for you as a writer getting published and all that stuff? Or was it a process? Oh, God, no. No, <laughs> I, I mean, I still feel miles away from success. Um, no, I, I feel like I've been learning and learning how to be a writer my whole life. I was a, I was a fan fiction writer when I was a kid and never thought of that as something that would ever factor into my career. Um, but at the time I, when I was writing fan fiction, I was learning about story and I was learning how to collaborate and uh, work within a world while also within an existing world while also bringing my own spin to it. I was figuring out what things I liked in a plot, what things I didn't about the different components of it and, and, what I, how I wanted to bring my own, my own voice to it. Um, so I, I did that for a long time as sort of a secret fan fiction writer. I've anyone in, I was right. a very secret nerd. If anyone in my immediate circles had found out about my fan fiction, I would have changed my name and fled the country. Um, but that taught me how to write in a lot of ways. And then a history degree taught me how to research and taught me how to, to, to learn that way and to learn about history and taught me to just think more broadly about history in general and historical narratives. Um, and then I wrote for a long time before I, um, before I published anything. And I wrote a lot before I published anything. I, the, the first novel I published was probably the fifth one that I had actually written and finished and tried to get published. And it took about five or six tries. Oh my. Oh my. Yeah. But five or six tries, but finally it happened. Then the whole hookup. And finally, would, yeah. I was going to say finally it happened, and then that first book I released, nobody read. Like, so so you never you never think about talking to a New York Times bestselling author, and I talked to many of them. That story, I mean, oh, so no one read the first one. See, that gives hope for uh, tons of people who listen to my show that want to write a book, start a podcast, just because you failed the first time, and it's not a failure; it just didn't go well. It's not because it's not your talent. It was just not the right topic that resonated with the readers. That's the bottom line at the end of the day, right or wrong. Right. And there's so many factors that go into it that have nothing to do with you. It's about it's timing, it's placement in a bookstore. It's what's in the zeitgeist at the moment. It's other things that are popular. It's, it's how the subway smells to the person reading the book on the sub. Like there's so many factors that go into a person's enjoyment and how your book gets, gets spread. Um, 
I think every overnight success is really somebody who you work for years for it. Exactly. See, and this is the interesting thing. In 11 years of my career in radio, doing it independently, finally now I'm making my mark in a way that it's coming back to me as a creator because of Clubhouse. I'm able to go on stages, you know, spit knowledge based on all the things that I've done in my career because now I have a voice in a voice app to be able to do it. So I understand completely. So I love to hear the story of, oh, guess what? My first book did not hit the mark. People love hearing that story. You know why? Because then they know they can, they don't have to give up. They can keep going in there as a creator, keep plugging away. So how did that New York times bestselling book, were you like shocked when you saw you were on the bestseller list? Was it like a shock to you? You expected it. <laughs> no, it was a total shock. And especially because it was also not that book that first hit the New York times list was not slated to be a bestseller. And I think most people don't realize how much kind of orchestration there is behind the scenes to make big books, the hits they are like, there's a certain amount of marketing money and time and, and publisher investment that has to go into it before it ever hits bookshelves. Um, and so a lot of bestsellers are kind of, um, uh, kind of pre pre-selected in a lot of ways. And my second book was very much not one of those pre-selected books, but I had learned kind of the first time around what I, what I should have done differently. I had figured out sort of the best things I could do as an author to promote myself. And then I just hustled really hard. Did you have the I, right I, publisher? I, Were you published? For that one, yeah, I was I, yeah, I was published by Harper Collins, so okay. it's a great publisher. But it's just when they have two hundred books that your imprint is putting you out have here, to you can't... have to come up with your own marketing plan. It sounds like that, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I, yeah. I I did a ton of legwork on my own. I I printed out copies of the book and gave them to booksellers. I worked in independent booksellers at the time, and the indie bookstore community was so fantastically supportive. Um, I self-funded a book tour and I was like sleeping in airports Let's and sleeping see, there on people's couches. Hard work. And never, I love it. I, I worked really hard, but also never with the idea like this will only be a success if it's on the bestseller list. I was just in my eyes. You, wanted, like, you, wanted, wanted, you wanted to be, you wanted to be great. That's all right. Sure, but yeah. yeah. I wanted, I wanted, I wanted to do better than I'd done before. And, and you I did. hope that's every book I do. I hope even if it's not, even if it doesn't sell better, I hope every book I write, is better and I'm a better writer and I take away something from it that makes me a better writer than the one before. Do you, did you ever think of this Mackenzie that your story is an unbelievable story to tell? Because think about it. The so many, do you know how many authors are out there that want to still just first of all be published? And you know how many authors that they get as published authors and they don't hit the mark and they feel so bad and they kind of give up and say, well, I'm never going to make it. And then you just decided you took that adversity of your first book and just turned it around. Then you see that New York times bestselling uh, title. I mean, it's something that, you know, is very coveted. It's a, I was talking to a, a someone who was an eight to 10 time New York times bestselling author. And just, her name will come to me in a second, a couple of weeks ago. And that's the kind of interviews I get all the time. But she told me, you know, it's just it's something that it's just a great thing to have, but it's just the title and you got to keep moving on and it strives. It makes her to want to get better and better at it. So from there, once you had success, I mean, to be in the Forbes 30 and all that stuff, you, you really have been hustling since then, right? This didn't stop. You weren't, you weren't happy with your success and saying, I'm done. I'm just going to kind of, you know, just ride the wave. You just kept, you kept pushing. It sounds like for sure. I've tried to. Yeah, tell us how that way, like how that happens. Like, what what what's in your DNA to say? Okay, I've 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 achieved the highest success as an author. Now, what do I have to do next to kind of even take it to the next level? I mean, I think part of it is is realizing that there is no highest success, and I'm the kind of person that I just I stay hungry, and every time I hit one of my goals, it's sort of like, okay, now what? Uh, you 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 get what you think is your ultimate goal, and you realize then there's another thing, and there's another thing, and there's another challenge. And sometimes exactly it, it it takes you off a different path. And like writing for Marvel is not something I I ever thought would be on my resume, but when the opportunity presented itself, it was like, of course I want to do this. Like exactly, this is, yeah. this is going to make me a a better and different writer in so many ways. And so part of it is just is staying hungry and saying yes to opportunities and always looking for 
for what the next thing is going to be. And I think as a, as an artist and as a creative person, you have to have that kind of inherent in your personality that you have to never be satisfied, which exactly. can be yeah. a, a ble- it's a blessing and a curse. <laughs> Forbes 30. Now, was that before you had your first book with Marvel or after? That was just after the first one was published. That's again, wow. I mean, your, your resume is just amazing. And so we'll get to the book, but Thank I you. love I love these stories. And I'm telling you, if you were on Clubhouse, they'd want to interview everyone in the big rooms to hear your success because that's what people all are looking for. They're looking for that inspiration and success in the trials and tribulations of life to say, I want to truly make it. And I'm going to be honest with you, all these interviews, I've done over 7,000 plus interviews since I started 11 years ago. And what I've learned in those 7,000 plus interviews, once I got onto clubhouse is that, wow, I'm a good speaker. Wow. People want to listen to me. You don't know that when you're sitting in a studio, you have the numbers, but yet you don't get the feedback that you get when there's a back and forth. And that's got to be so great with once you hit that New York Times bestselling list that you have fans and those fans come back to read your books. That's got to be amazing, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's incredibly cool to have fans and I, I don't want to discount them at all. But like with the notoriety also comes you get the opposite side of that and you get people who the more successful you get, the more they want to see you fail. And, um, I know, I, I know, I know that too. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. You get, you get both sides of it. And, um, I'm, I'm so happy that there are people who come back to read all my books and who, who love me as a creator enough to read anything I do. Um, but everything kind of scales relative to that. So it comes with added pressure. It comes with, um, added expectations. Exactly it comes with uh, a disappointment that it's almost worse when you have someone who's like, I love the first book so much. And so the second one is um, such a letdown. It's like, Oh no, you once loved me. <laughs> it's that, it's that way where, when whatever thing you're trying to achieve, once you achieve it, it's like, okay, what's next. And that's, yep. and, but there's only certain people born like that. And you are okay. Let's talk about the book for just a quick few minutes. Again, Gamora and Nebula. So tell us about that. And again, being with the Marvel land and it's out now in bookstores. Tell us about it. So most people probably know Gamora and Nebula from their appearance in the Guardians of the Galaxy films and then in Avengers uh, Infinity War and Endgame. You're going to laugh me. I've never seen any of them. So that's probably why I'm not. Oh, you're missing out, man. So when (laughs) when I have to stick. (laughs) Yeah. They're great. They're so they're they're the adopted daughters of this. Um sort of insane warlord who's on a quest to wipe out half of humanity named Thanos. Um, And they have been raised to be warriors and raised to be assassins and raised to literally be, be tools for him and his, his evil empire without having any sort of free will themselves. And so the book is, is set as they, they are on this uh, dying planet that has been strip mined into nothing. And the people who, people who live there have been sort of forced to destroy their home and forced into these terrible indentured servitudes. And um, so Gamora and Nebula come uh, pitted against each other in this race to see who can, who can find the heart of the planet first. Um, But all, but what it's then becomes more about is them starting to recognize the, the manipulation and the outward influences that have shaped their lives and, and recognizing that these things they think of as being, as being true are maybe just things that have been told to them a lot, um, including the fact that they, they think they're rivals and they think they're oh, always wow. in competition together. And they start to realize that maybe we've been told this to keep us from joining forces so that, <laughs> yeah. because if we, if we team up, we'll knock them all over. Does it sound like something going on in our country today? Hmm. I think so. <laughs> It's an age-old story, really. Exactly. Because we keep his, learning the same lessons. History repeats itself. You're a historian. History repeats mm-hmm. itself. I have a really I have an undergrad in history. It keeps going over and over and over again. Okay, big deal. Taxes have gone up. That's in their history. It always happens. And there's always been where the world is over because someone else is president. And then we're going to go through that cycle. And then we're going to go back through the cycle again. It's just, it's a cycle of society. Just keep being driven like Mackenzie and you're fine. Uh, writing a books like this for Marvel, again, this is not, you come up with the creativity, but you have, do you get like a script to say how we want you to write this book or certain things? No, mm-hmm. I, I sort of thought that's how it would be. I thought I would get an outline that I would write to, but they, 
they really brought me in as a as a co-collaborator and they brought me in because of my voice and my perspective on things and they wanted me to bring that to these books and I think that's been one of the things that's made Marvel so successful as a as a franchise is that they bring in really interesting unique creators and let them bring their own vision and experience and voice to the stories they're telling within the universe so I I with this one in particular I sort of came and said I want to do a space western I grew up in the western United States and sort of grew up with this red rock and cowboys and ranches and mines and ghost towns and I want to sort of deconstruct that myth of the of manifest destiny in the American West and um all in a sci-fi setting about about sis- of alien sisters um and they were so receptive to that and oh, wow. and sort of would come back and say okay well what if you did this and there there are people in the the company who are so much more well versed in like the comics and the lore than I am and so they would bring in they said okay so you talked about you want to talk about religion so have you read about the universal church of truth in marvel and i said no and they would send me these comics and i would read them and it would work perfectly and then i would say okay so what if we did this and what if i brought in this character and they say yeah and what if you did this and have you read this and Right. And it was a, it was truly a collaboration, which I was not expecting. And it was such a cool, fun thing to be a part of. You've already checked the box and then you're going to say, oh my, Neil's going to call me out on this. You've already checked the box of New York Times bestselling author. You've already checked the box of Marvel uh, author, uh, Forbes 30. When are, is one of your books going to be made into a movie? We're waiting on that now. <laughs> There's one being adapted right now. Not one of the Marvel ones, but one of my original historical fiction um, books is being adapted by Greg Berlanti for HBO. Let's see. So uh, there you go. So that check you're, you're on your way. So where, what's <laughs> next for you? I mean, what can you accomplish next now? Like, are you going to just have a, 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 a list of New York times bestselling books or, or are you going to, are you going to branch out to something else? I just see you not the kind of person that say, I'm just going to write the rest of my life. I could see you write, but also do something even bigger. I don't know. I just, the, the, your energy, that's what I see. I, I don't get that energy from a lot of people I interview and I, I get it from you or I'd be like, oh, okay, I'm you. done or I'd be gone. I'm just like, okay, I'm out. I got it. I got uh, your relate. It, it was my fault too. But meaning I see this energy with you. Where are you going next? I don't know, but I want to keep telling stories forever. Um, whether those are real stories from history, whether they're imagined stories, whether they're told through books or through film or stage or standing up in front of people on an online platform like whatever the case I want I want to be a storyteller my whole life um and I I don't know how I'm going to do that I don't know where that's going to take me but but I'm 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 never going to sit still I'm going to chase that I think forever so that fireside invite you got that you couldn't make jump on it ASAP because okay that what 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 Fallon and Mark Cuban is doing is tremendously huge in the storytelling. Their apps all about storytelling. Just FYI, you should have been on it, but Hey, you know, just join it. Cause I gave you that link, go through it, go in and ask to be a creator. And I'm sure Fallon will come back to you. And it's another way just to kind of just tell stories because you're a storyteller. And I could see, I, you know what I see? I see more on, I see a talk show host. I see something more. I see, I see. <laughs> no, that's it. Let's not go crazy here. Now, our podcast. I see a famous podcast. Maybe got to check out podcast too. See, I'll look into it. I've, I have heard of these podcasts. Things. No, they're big money. Just trust me. Okay. <laughs> Especially, I think Marvel's making some of them, but I just, I just bunch, yeah, yeah, exactly. I was hearing that. That was the big rant in the podcasting world, but I appreciate uh, talking with you. Everyone can pick up the book right now. Independent, independent bookstores for sure. And then also available on Amazon. Correct. Do you have a website to, exactly. to, to purchase I it? Do. Mm-hmm. Lee.com has all the buy links. So I, I told you you'd have a different interview with me, but this is the kind of thing that I'm learning from social audio. Have this conversation. I always have had this conversation back and forth, but I'm really kind of painting the picture of what my audience wants. And that's where the future of radio, podcasting, and social audio are going because we want a feedback from the audience and get them more and more engaged. And the more people can be engaged in life, the more we can know what our listeners, our readers our viewers want and that's exciting so best of luck to you and thanks again for stopping by oh thank you so much for having me it was great to talk to you all right you're welcome take care see you're listening to neil haley's show we'll be back in just a moment hi everyone and welcome to the mike velarde show i'm excited to welcome the program mike velarde mike what's going on man how are you great i'm great how are you 
Hey, you know, we just continue to talk our conversation last week about Israel blew me away, you know, and this week again will be the same type of thing here on the Mike Velarde show. So who's our guest? Yeah, Dan, Dan Francis, he's running for Congress in District 21. I think he'll be a great candidate. So I want to introduce Dan to everybody. Dan, say hello and tell us a little bit about yourself. So, uh, good afternoon, everybody. Neil and Mike, thanks again for having me on your show today. Uh, so I live in Palm Beach County. I have a career in business. I've spent over 35 years working in finance in a number of different roles. I've been a bank lending officer. I've been a portfolio manager. I've been a banker. I've been an entrepreneur. Uh, I'm also very proud of my time as chief financial officer of my church of a 501c3 corporation. So I've done a lot of different things, including having to make payroll every two weeks. And so I think all these things, you know, make, give me, you know, great background, great experience to draw upon to, to serve our, our district in Congress. Absolutely. And I think that's an important thing, but you really are motivated to run definitely what you've seen happen in the past hundred days, right? That's motivated you to run for sure. You want to be out there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, what we see now is the worst possible people have taken control of our country and look at the damage they're doing. Some of it, uh, I'm terrified that some of it's going to be irreversible. Uh, most of it, I think, can be fixed if we get the right people in there as soon as possible. And that's the key reason I'm running. I'm not a career politician. I'm, I'm not doing this for a living. I don't need the job. I have, already have a very good job. Uh, but I think it's time for you know, people like me who were able to to step up and try to do something about it and uh, and get our country back on track. So the theme of my campaign is save our country. Unfortunately, it's at a point where we have to think about it that way. And and I'm one of the people that's, that wants to lead the charge in that regard. So kind of tell us your platform. Yeah. Well, sure, sure. I mean, I, it's a uh, a very conservative platform, frankly, quite similar to the Trump agenda. And I think uh, that's actually a great place to start because, frankly, look how look how great it worked for four years. And and over and above that, it's quite popular. What we saw before the last election, when they did name blind polling of, of investors on, on issues, Trump nailed it on all his points. Unfortunately, then they tell people that's Trump's point and then people backed up. But the point is, those policies are popular and they work. So what, uh, you know, we're going to do a lot of those things. Like, for instance, we're going to help the economy by cutting taxes. That'll help bring companies back to our country, which was happening for four years. We're going to deregulate so companies can just get out there and do their jobs instead of just uh, you know, going on and on with red tape all the time. Uh, but there's also a lot of stuff we're going to do, protect our seniors. These are the people that built our country. We owe it to them to protect them, not cut Medicare and Medicaid. There's our veterans. These are the people that that saved our country many times in wars. Uh, we got to make sure they're properly taken care of. And, you know, just in general, someone once asked me, can you in one sentence or less summarize your political philosophy? And I said, I only need two words, limited government. So wherever we can, we're going to try to get the government off people's backs and let the economy and let the people run it themselves. So I can go on to other points, but limited government is perhaps the key philosophy that guides a lot of my views on on policies and, and, and practices of our government. Yeah, and I mean, limited government is such an important thing. If you look at specifically enough, just if you're looking financially, the financial choices you're making, you know, in running for running for looking at financially raising taxes, right, especially during a pandemic. No, no, everybody wants opportunity. Exactly. Exactly right. Exactly. Yeah, un un unfortunately, you know, in many ways, they're trading, you know, quality of opportunity with a quality, a quality of outcome. And uh, uh, we want everyone to do well, but if, if everyone knows they're going to have an equal outcome, no one's going to try. And, and, that's, and that's just one of the fundamental tenets of capitalism and the American way, giving people the opportunity to go out there, try hard, potentially fail, but potentially exceed fabulously. Exactly. And it motivates people to work and, and keep going. Let's talk about other policies. You've been talking more financial. What other policies do you see like that uh, you're, you're running on? You've run on, again, the conservatism. You talked about lowering taxes, uh, giving more opportunity, to pe meaning like uh, less government. Any other thoughts, especially in Florida, when you're thinking about what things you want to change that are happening? 
Well, one thing that's important to people in Florida, but I feel throughout the whole country is school choice. And I think that's important to the extent we have an ability to influence that because that's the way that you can ultimately put education back in parents' hands. Because once parents have the ability to pull a kid out of a school and put them into another, they then have control over, you know, over the, idea, the agenda in those schools. So that's, that's a very important thing. Uh, I'm also a big supporter of the Second Amendment. I feel it's about more than just hunting. It, frank, and it, it's, it frankly is far bigger than that. It preserves our ability for us to protect ourselves and our family. And I'm a big believer that it's be, largely because of the Second Amendment, we have the First Amendment. Speaking of which, that's, that's under huge attack right now as well. Uh, in this country. And it's just, I think, perhaps the biggest threat to our country right now is the whole censorship and cancel culture. And I think the social media companies are big culprits for that. And they need to be, they need to be re-examined. I think the, the, I can't believe they still get away with all the censorship they have. They get the protections of a distributor when in reality they are publishers and editors, and that needs to be changed and changed as soon as possible. So that potentially is the biggest threat to our country uh, right now. So those are, you know, those are some of the key things that I that uh, uh, we're going to be pushing in this campaign. Okay, so that's interesting. So you know, what about let's talk about different things with the police. What are your thoughts on the police defunding the police? You know what? That was the next thing I was going to talk about. It's it's just frightening the statistics you're seeing in all these cities about how the murder rates are up forty percent in some places, like New York City, for instance. I just read it this morning. That's not because of the pandemic. That's because of depolicing. The criminals feel they can do just about anything they want, and unfortunately, murder is up too. But I know in New York City, for example, unless you literally kill somebody, I think you're out on the, out on the streets on bail almost immediately. And so it's not a surprise that as we've defunded these police, that you've seen crime spike go all throughout the country. And amazingly, I'm reading that even some of the progressive mayors, like the fellow in Seattle, Wheeler, and and the, and the guy, I think, in Minneapolis are actually starting to now backpedal on this defund the police thing because they're seeing just how terrible it's been for their for their cities. It's a common sense thing. And I'm hoping back in my my former hometown, New York City, uh, that they do uh, elect the mayor there, who is one of the candidates, you know, is a former police captain, is, is one of the few uh, that's not saying defund the police, but put the police back on the streets because, frankly, that's what worked. That's, I mean... It, it, it's amazing. Exactly. We've seen, seen this stuff work for years and years and people want to just undo it. And it just it blows me away. So yeah, I'm a very big supporter of law, law enforcement. I have plenty of friends and relatives who've been in law enforcement and uh, cringes me to see the way that they're de- demonized and villainized lately. Whereas in, in many of these cities, it's, it's the police that frankly saved the city. That's, that's what, I've, in my opinion, saved uh, New York City. Uh, what was, was a renewed law enforcement emphasis. Now, what about COVID-19? What is your policy thought process on COVID-19? Especially, let's say, I guess masks are gone now because of the vaccine, but what about how we're kind of looking at people that did not get vaccinated as second-class citizens? Well, the, the, you know, the pandemic was most certainly a legitimate international health crisis. And, and we did need to take you know, significant steps to keep it from being even worse than it was. But my God, they exploited that well beyond anything that was needed. And it became this you know, universal tool to control us. And one of the ways they were controlling us was putting on the masks and, and locking us down unnecessarily. When ironically, how many of these leaders that were putting the, these rules in place weren't even following them themselves? I mean, it was just almost, almost a daily occurrence you read about a mayor or a governor or whoever going to a restaurant or doing something without their mask on or getting their hair done. It, um, uh, this whole notion that now people who aren't getting vaccinated is a, are second-class citizens is terrible. I'm, I'm glad the idea of a vaccine passport has not caught on. Our, our great governor here in Florida, and frankly, I, I heard a great phrase the other day, which I'm going to start using from now on, the free state of Florida. He clamped down early on to say there won't be vaccine passports in this state. And I, and I think that's truly the way the whole country should think about it. And uh, I, you know, it's a personal decision for sure. And, you know, and, 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 that, and, and again, I think the passports are just a terrible idea. Because of like places like Target that lifted the mask restriction for only people vaccinated, but you can't find out who's vaccinated and not vaccinated. That's the biggest problem. And then we're going back to everything is normal. And then six months, 
the vaccine will be worthless again and they have to get another vaccination. So you're going to constantly be tracking people for vaccines, which is going to be crazy. So a lot of those things have to be introduced. And then the concerns, if ever the variant from India comes to the United States, what do you do? Do you keep going as normal or not? We won't, and these are not being discussed. And these issues need to be discussed because if you're going to open up saying the pandemic's over, yay, okay, that's fine. But what happens if there's another uh, surge? Are we going to go locked down again? And I'm sure your belief is just to have, you know, an environment that is, you know, making sure that the virus, everyone's washing their hands, doing all the things that are necessary, but still living because it didn't work. The, the lockdown didn't work. And we are in the same boat still, you know, except now everyone has to have a vaccine. Um, I'm, hearing, Go ahead, Mike. I'm hearing so many cases of people that are dying from the vaccine. I just got a call from my friend Costas Mandalor, who's an actor, and he's going to a funeral because this 29 year old kid got a vaccine a week ago and now he's dead. Unbelievable. That's terrible. Yeah, I mean, you guys are raising so many good points. I mean, this whole notion of the vaccine being the, uh, the thing that frees us is a terrible treadmill because the ones that are out right now only protect us for what we have in this country. But there are variations. There's a South Africa variation, India variation, and so on. And and what and and so what do we do? It gives you this false sense of security, which you know, in three to six months, people are going to be talking about, oh, we need another lockdown because the Indian variation is here. And and I I predict that we're going to see something like that within the next year. And and what we need to do then is if it starts spreading here go back to doing it the right way, pretty similar to the way we did it in Florida, which was emphasizing the things that don't impact on personal freedoms, encouraging people to wash their hands frequently. And if they're not feeling well, stay away from other people as much as possible. Uh, and, and, and to the extent you have people not getting out and going to school, you know, put an emphasis on isolating people who are predisposed to be sick from it, the elderly or people who are otherwise ill, and to just be more intelligent about uh, how we go about these lockdowns is maybe the wrong word, but just be more more intelligent about how we go about it. Exactly. On these one-size-fits-all rules that that just just uh, just unnecessarily shut down our country. You know, terrible thing is we haven't seen the full cost of what this impact of all this is going to be on our country. We've seen the economic cost, and I think we're going to bounce back from that. But there's a social cost here that's going to be. Uh, incalculable. Like, for instance, all the kids that lost a year of, of education and socialization, for example, I think they're, they're going to pay for this much worse than, than anybody predicts. I still haven't seen the final numbers, but I keep hearing anecdotes about suicides, drug, drug overdoses, and, and so on, you know, being off the charts during this time. Right. You know, th this, this is a price our country pays uh, that that has not been properly discussed. I, I'm, I'm assuming we'll eventually get the data, unless social media censors that too. But but we have to think about all that the next time this happens, because I mark yes. my words, we're going to see one of these variants in our country in the next year. And there's three months. People calling it's for three it. months. But why are we celebrating just to get people to take the vaccine? In three months, the other variants coming. Well, exactly, exactly. And I'm afraid people are just going to use that as an excuse to just lock down our country again. Yeah, I don't think they are. I think they got they wanted. I don't think we will because. Oh, no, no, no. I think I, I, I don't think people will go along with it either, thankfully. But there's going to be an attempt. There's going to be people vilifying people that don't lock themselves down when that happens, when the Indian virus or the South African virus comes here. It's I just I'm terrified about this. Exactly. OK. All right, Mike, any other questions you want to ask Dan before we let him go? Yeah, Dan, tell us about your, um, your, your campaign, how people can volunteer to help you, how they can contribute to your campaign. Um, uh, you know, any plans for media, um, any, any programs, any, any TV, anything like that? You're willing to debate other candidates? Wow. Sure, sure, I mean, all the above. So... Uh, I only recently filed last week, so this is a brand new campaign. Uh, we got our website up and running. It still has some bugs to it, but the basics work. Uh, it's uh, dan4fl.com, so that's the letter word, uh, the, the number, not the number four, but the word F-O-R, so dan4fl.com is where you can go to, to see our campaign video and read my biography. Uh, there is a place there where you can donate, but there's also a place there where you can sign up to volunteer for the campaign. Uh, I plan to run a pretty traditional campaign 
uh, doing a mixture of you know media, personal appearances, and so forth. Definitely willing to debate uh, other candidates at the right time, and uh, I think that's good for everybody to get out there and see see the cam uh, the different candidates. And looking forward to that. But again, the website is the three W's Awesome. Mike, MikeVillardiBooks.com and uh, also WinningTaxSolutions.com, right, Mike? Yep, that's it. That's it. Anybody All right, guys. That was the Mike Villardi Show. Take care, guys, and thank you again, Dan, for stopping by. Thank you very much. Nice to see you guys. All right, bye-bye.